We'll be in Philippians chapter 4 today. If you have your Bibles, I hope you have your Bibles with you today. We'll start there. We'll be in the book of Philippians together. Um, we're continuing to find our place in the world. And our theme word that we have used to find our place in the world is holiness. And so we are set apart, different from the world, because we are the people of God. We have a dual citizenship. We use our possessions differently. And today, we are going to find in our world by finding our place with pleasure. And the world looks at pleasure very differently than what we do. But I want to start this morning by defining our terms so we can make sure we're on the same page. Pleasure is not always a bad thing. Sometimes we have a knee-jerk reaction. Pleasure is something the world has and something that we should stay away from. We think of sinful pleasure. But pleasure is just simply to be pleased by something, something that is said of God and how he views worship and sacrifices and his people often. And so pleasure is something that can be good, can be bad, depending on how it is used. So as we get to our text today in Philippians, you'll know that Philippians is a book of joy. So I'm using joy and pleasure as synonymous terms that they're going to be interchangeable today, so we make sure we're talking about the same thing. But in our world, we see all kinds of pleasure in it. There's the kinds of pleasure that overwhelm them with the sinful approach that they take to them, whether it be sex or money or power, uh, drugs and alcohol, things that they can find pleasure in that are not authorized. But there are also some things that they find pleasure in that are not sinful in and of themselves, whether it's work or hobbies or entertainment or food, right? There are lots of things that we know our world finds pleasure in. So these things can consume us and cause us to miss the mark. So how can we approach these things and find pleasure in our world in a godly way? So that's what we're going to try and find out today and find the right perspective. So Paul uses the word joy in the book of Philippians, or, or rejoice, 15 times. It is a book of joy. It is a book of pleasure. And so we're going to find it today in Paul's letter to the Philippians on how we can find godly joy. So let's jump into chapter 4 to see our first part of what, God, uh, what Paul looks for here. We find our place in the world with joy and godly perspective. Start reading with me in verse 4 of chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things." What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. We can rejoice in the Lord because we know he is the source of all that is good. And Paul talks about praying our requests to him out of trust and faith in him because we know he can fulfill those things. So this shows us that we can see the world in a different way that brings about godly joy that God has simply provided these things for us. He has taken care of us. So we need to realize that many of the pleasures that I mentioned earlier are not wrong to find joy in with the proper perspective. 
So if we can find our proper perspective, we can see these things as coming from God. They are heavenly things given by Him. So let's illustrate this in just a few ways. Money can bring pleasure to people. It's easily illustrated in Luke chapters 18 and 19, right? There's this contrast of the rich young ruler who found pleasure in money throughout his life but could not use it in a godly way, and so it brought him great sorrow. That pleasure was fleeting. It was deceitful. It did not last. But on the other hand, in Luke chapter 19, we have another rich man, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was able to see his money as a path to get closer to Jesus. He offered to repay his debtors up to four times what they were owed, so that way he could have a better relationship with Jesus. And he received Jesus with joy. Money can be a path to joy and pleasure if we see it with the right perspective. Another example is sex. So many in our world have brought about emotional and spiritual pain because of their misuse of God's gift of sex. But someone using it the way God has designed it to be used in the confines of marriage can find joy in the way that God has desired for them to do it. And another example is food. So for us to change our our perspective to a godly one, we need to make an extra step. So a worldly person eats food and says, man, that tastes good. A godly person makes an extra step. That tastes good, and I thank God for giving it to me, right? That That tastes good, and it is good because God created it, right? That there's this extra realization that these things are godly. They are good, and they are from Him. In fact, the first time we see pleasure in the Bible is in creation. Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there He put the man who He had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of garden, and and of the knowledge of good and evil. We have this picture from the very beginning that God created something and gave something to us, and it is good. It is intended to be used for joy and for pleasure. And Paul says to Timothy in uh, 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17, that he has richly provided us with everything to enjoy, that God has given us things that we might be pleased in them. But that extra step needs to happen. Because that part, a part of the uh, First Timothy passage that I didn't read is because we might find hope in God. We might trust in Him. And so we can take that extra step to realize, to find our perspective, that these pleasures come from God. So that's what godly pleasure starts out by being. This distinction matters. We can find joy in our physical blessings because they come from God. But we also need to remember the other side of this coin that there cannot be any joy found in sinful things. If this is something that we have deceived ourselves into thinking this comes from God when it does not, it will falter. It will fade away and it will leave us lacking. So we have to know where these things come from. We have to ask, does this come from God? And then we can have pleasure in the things that He has blessed us in. So practice what Paul has told us to keep our minds focused on who God is, so that we can rightly evaluate what we have and find joy in the right way. Let's keep going to see what other reasons Paul gives us that we can find joy in the book of Philippians. Godly pleasure 
is having joy. I clicked too fast. <laughs> joy in one another. Let's go back to chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Chapter, three, verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this first day until now. Paul is able to pray to the, uh, about the Philippians and to be filled with joy because of the knowledge of them. This relationship is joyful. He's constantly finding joy about these people in Philippians. We'll look at a couple examples of these. In chapter 4, verse 1, he calls them my joy and my crown. He is overwhelmed with joy at the knowledge of his relationship with the church in Philippi. They mean a lot to him. Our friendships with each other should bring us joy. They're a blessing from God. We get to see each other. That is something that we should cherish, and that is something that we should treasure. Just listen in chapter 2, or you can turn there if you'd like, to chapter 2 and verse 20 and 22, how Paul talks about Timothy, his co-worker in Christ. Chapter 2, verse 20. For I have no one like Timothy who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. In verse 22, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. So I hope to send him to you. Paul has a great trust in Timothy. He has a great love for Timothy, and Timothy is useful. Can you hear that relationship like a father and a son to each other? There is joy in the way that they spend time together and think of each other. And then keep reading in verse 25 of how Epaphroditus is an impact to Philippi. And I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him and the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Epaphroditus had a hard year. He was sick, nearly to the point of death, but he cares for the people in Philippi so much that he was concerned about them when knowing that they were concerned about his health, that he wanted them to be comforted. And so when they are going to be reunited, they are going to be overwhelmed with joy. They are going to receive him with joy. Paul wants so badly for the Philippians to keep growing in the gospel. So this relationship extends beyond basic friendship. It's not just, I enjoy sharing a meal with you or doing this, that, or the other with you. I enjoy seeing you in Jesus Christ growing the way that you should. Let's go back to chapter 1 and see this. Chapter 1, start picking back up where we left off in verse 6. Paul says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you were all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense of the con and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. 
And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. His desire and his joy that he finds in the relationship with the Philippian church is not just physical, but a hope for the growth of the spiritual. He wants them to abound in their love more and more. He wants them to find completion in Jesus Christ, and he finds joy in every step of the way that he sees. And we, I think we relate to this. We find joy when we see spiritual growth among us. Just last week, we had a Sunday night service where we had several younger men get up and lead in ways that they hadn't led before. And anytime we see them do more, I think I can speak for us, that that brings us joy as a family of God, that we are, we are rejoicing in that ability. And we can see our young girls growing up and, and growing up into servants of Christ, ready to teach Bible classes and to serve and to imitate Christ and how they do. And that brings us joy as we see the abilities grow and expand in their service being helpful to more and more people. And although we get really excited when it's our young people up here, uh, and there's an extra energy and excitement, I think we also have an energy when we see our older members grow. We've had several members this year teach their first adult Bible classes that they ever have this year. And so we have people who are growing in their abilities, and we get to see that, and we get to participate in that. And that brings us joy as a group, does it not? It helps us as God's people to find pleasure, to find joy in what we see each other do spiritually. So maybe there's a challenge in there for us. That as we are working on our relationship with Jesus Christ, we strive to excel still more, as Paul would tell the Thessalonians. Because we have an added motivation that we're an example to each other. We're helping each other in our growth and in our pleasure or joy that we find in God. It's a joyful thing to see people work and find their place as God's people. So when we find joy in our perspective and our relationships with each other, let's see what else Paul says about joy. Paul finds joy despite suffering. Paul finds joy despite suffering. Let's keep reading in chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So remember, where was Paul when he wrote this letter? Paul was imprisoned. He says it right here in the passage we just read. He was in jail, writing this letter to the Philippians. And Paul shows us that he has joy in this um, opportunity here. If anyone had an opportunity to have a bad attitude, to not have joy and pleasure in their circumstances, Paul would stop me and not let me finish the sentence because he would say, it is not me, right? 
Paul has no excuse. He has no circumstance that keeps him from expressing his joy for the Philippians in this letter for them. Paul, writing in a, in a prison cell, is able to show joy. How much more can we be able to show joy in our world? But there are some temptations, I think, for us when we think about what we would have been like if we were writing this letter. We might say, I'm overwhelmed with negative thoughts. I'm going to write this letter to complain or to ask them to come break me out of prison, right? We have this um, other perspective of my problems are bigger than your needs, maybe. It's a temptation we could face. Or we could face a temptation that we get so pessimistic about our situation that we can't even write the letter to begin with. So we isolate ourselves and have no desire to spread joy whatsoever. Those aren't Paul. Paul is able, in a difficult circumstance, to share a joy with the people in Philippi. Joy found in the Lord cannot be overwhelmed because of our circumstances. Even if our lives aren't in the best circumstances, we find ourselves looking to God for joy. And there are numerous examples throughout the, uh, the scriptures of people who find joy in difficult times. David wrote so many psalms that have praise to God while he's on the run throughout Palestine, running away from Saul or his own children or the Philistines. He is joyful in the midst of his struggle. Peter wrote a letter where he talks about suffering throughout the letter, but in that letter there's suffering, but there's also this theme of glory where we are going to be reunited with Jesus, this imperishable hope that is undefiled and ready there in heaven for us, protected by God. That's 1 Peter chapter 1. He has a joy despite the suffering he is warning of. And most of the prophets of Israel were facing the coming judgment of Judah and Israel. The Syrians were coming, the Babylonians were coming, and they knew it. And they had to share the gospel with the people as they were coming to take them into punishment. And yet, there are elements of joy in those prophets. We just finished studying the minor prophets this last quarter. Listen to Habakkuk chapter 3. Now remember, Habakkuk is the prophet that said, are you really sending the Babylonians to come punish us? They're worse than we are. He was distressed with what God had planned for them. This is what he says. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine, like the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, there's no food in Judah. There is no hope for food in Judah. All of these things have been taken away. But here's what he says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Habakkuk was able to overcome difficult circumstances and find joy in the Lord, even though Babylon was still coming. Paul is able to show us that we can overcome hard times, we can find joy despite our difficulties. And he tells us even why he finds joy. In chapter 3 of Philippians, he starts by saying, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. He starts chapter 3 with finally and then writes two more chapters. Typical Paul, right? But Paul writes, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And he goes on to talk about everything that he gave up, how he was 
a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was circumcised on the eighth day, tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, to the, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Verse 7, <clears throat> But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul shows us that he is able to suffer because of his desire to be found in Jesus. Let's keep reading. Verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. In verse 10 he says that I might share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. He has a different perspective on suffering, doesn't he? He has a different idea of what it is because he is sharing in something with Jesus. So what did he suffer? He lost his past. He lost his potential. He had reason to be confident in the flesh. He was a qualified man, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, zealous and blameless. Let's put that in our terms for what that looks like in our society today. He's a great American citizen, a leader in government. He cares deeply about making a difference in his community and finding justice. He carefully follows laws and society rules. He has a good job and makes good money. He is well thought of and respected in his community. Now I'm going to stop there and say that sounds like that could describe many of the people here. Would we be willing to be like Paul and to suffer the loss of all that we had for the gain of Christ? Do we count them as rubbish, ready to be suffered so that we can have Christ's sufferings? Paul sees Jesus as surpassing worth, and his sufferings helped him to get there, to see Jesus as worth it. So if we correctly find our place with Jesus, suffering will not keep us from joy. One more point on suffering before we finish up. In chapter 4, verse 10. Chapter 4, verse 10, Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you have no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul used his sufferings as an opportunity for faith. And that brought him an opportunity to give joy to the Philippians. That's what suffering is for. That's who Paul is. Suffering is temporary, but reliance on God is eternal. That perspective will help us to find joy in the most difficult of circumstances. But there's one final reason that we can find joy in the book of Philippians. And so we find joy in Jesus. Let's go back to chapter 3 and read verse starting in verse 8, about halfway through the verse. Paul says, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I might gain Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. 
Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and stressing forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul finds joy because he has this relationship with Jesus, this ultimate joy. So we need to pause and realize that all of our points that we've made so far, all these joys we've found in perspective in one another and despite our suffering, they collapse in on each other if we don't have this fourth one. This joy in Jesus is the foundational joy that we must find if we're going to have joy or pleasure in our world at all. Verse 11 shows us that this relationship with Jesus gives us a joy and a hope that we can't have anywhere else. No other pleasure on earth can give us the resurrection of the dead in Jesus Christ. Our joy is built upon this foundation. The end of this goal is verses 20 and 21. Our citizenship is in heaven, right? And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and my long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Our joy is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Our hope is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. We can have that as we consider all of this. Let's just consider how this works with our previous points. If we have joy in Jesus, we can have joy in the right perspective and the Lord based on Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He is the basis for us understanding our world and having the right perspective of the things that bring us joy. It comes through Christ Jesus. Our joy is based on others in Jesus. Chapter 2. Verses 1 through 5 talks about how he hopes that they will live a certain way. Listen to verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, a mind of humility, giving yourself up on the cross like Christ did, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This perspective of finding joy in one another only comes through Jesus. And third, and joy is found during suffering. Chapter 3, verse 7. For whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He is the foundation of all the joy that we have. He is there. If we are going to find our place in the world with joy, Jesus is going to be there. Jesus is going to be a part of it. And we're going to see Him as part of our joy. Without Jesus, there is no lasting joy. There is no lasting pleasure. Those things will fade. Those things will deceive us and turn into something we don't intend for them to be. But Jesus makes our pleasures lasting. We must build our lives on a foundation that lasts, or else we'll be like sand on the shore, like Matthew chapter 7 that Jesus gives at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He is the rock that we can build our lives on. So what can we do with this? What do we do with our joy? Chapter 1, verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. 
There is joy in Jesus that is ours and can be shared. And we can give that to others just like Paul shared his joy with the church in Philippi. So this week, if there is something that makes you happy, ask why. Take that extra step. Is Jesus a part of this? Is this bringing me back to know my Savior? That's what we need to be asking. That's what we need to be finding. That is how we are different from the world because we are focused in our moments of joy and pleasure on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and what He has done for us and the relationship we can have with God as a result. All joy and all pleasures come from Him. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we come before You now. We live in a world that seeks to find pleasure for themselves, seeking to build up their 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 lives in a way that brings happiness and joy. And we see the vanity in that. We see how that can fade and that can fall apart so quickly without a foundation. So God, help us change our minds that we can see Jesus in everything in our lives, that we only seek pleasure that comes from your Son and only comes from your goodness. For every good and perfect gift comes from you. Without there is no shifting shadow or variation of light. God, we love you so much. Help us as we go through this week that we can share our joy with those we come in contact with, that the joy of Jesus never runs out, it never diminishes, and it never um, leaves us wanting. God, we love you. Help us to do this. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to sing a song now that will help us to look to Jesus and to find the joy in God. So let's stand as we sing.